Well, hello and welcome to church, Jasper County Jail Campus online. Welcome, Demont Wheatfield. Welcome, Hebron. Welcome. Love you guys. I love our church. We had an awesome, awesome weekend this last weekend. By far, the best church services we've ever done. If you missed it, you just missed it. It was so good. Like in person, it was electric. It was amazing. Um, by far, our largest Easter experience ever of all time. At our in-person worship services, we had 2,770. And uh, yeah, I love the tepid. Thank you. Perfect. And this weekend was also our largest profession and baptism. And I don't really care so much about the numbers. It's just that every number has a name and every name has a story. And I think every story matters to God. And, you know, I remember when I was a number and a name and a church cared about reaching me. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm glad to be a part of continuing that for the next generation as a church. That's part of God's call on our life. I think about Mike and Nina who shared their story. I remember when Mike chose to follow Jesus and watching God change their lives and watching them grow in love for the Lord. This never gets old. I'm thankful to the families that sacrificed and gave and served for the last 129 years so that we could be here today. I think about the families who went to the Hebron location, sacrificing, giving, and working to do that. You know, we never would have been able to accommodate the people we did at Easter in one building. And I just think the best is yet to come. I'm so excited. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart to the families of this church, the people who call this place their church home, thank you. Thank you for sacrificing and serving Jesus. Thank you for caring about God's call on our life to see people far from God filled with life in Christ. Now, we're starting a brand new series today called Seven Habits to Become the Best Version of Yourself. And it's all about growing your faith. I think a lot of people in our church have been here, you know, six, seven generations from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, you're able to do great things with your faith. I mean, we see you, we respect you. And then there's so many of us who are new in faith. You know, lots of energy, lots of excitement when you're new in faith. You're learning so many new things. You make profession, you get baptized. But the big question is, how do you get from here to there? That's what this series is all about, growing our faith across the middle of basic faith into multiplying faith. And I want to be clear. Faith is more than just knowledge. Knowing things doesn't make you a faithful Christian. I know lots of people who know lots of things. In fact, in the Bible, there are people who knew a lot of things called Pharisees, and some of them loved Jesus, and some of them killed him. Knowledge isn't the goal. A life full of faith in Christ, that's the goal. This church has never been a seeker-sensitive church. We don't just want you to come and hear expository messages that like, are interesting. We wanna see our lives transformed to live out what God calls us to do, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. This series is all about seven habits that can grow your faith. Don't miss a single week, because six is actually the number of the devil. Seven is the number of perfection. So you gotta come every week, get your seven habits. Just being extra biblical here. Even if you're not a Christian, I think these habits will bless your life. And uh, the difference between world changers and normal people are not a few lucky moments. It's not your position in birth. Um, I think world changers faithfully do the little things regularly that most people only do occasionally. And for the next seven weeks, I wanna give you seven practical things you can do rooted in scripture that will grow your life into one that is full of faith. And today I wanna talk about the base habits, okay? What I think is just the most important, I mean, this habit is so, so important, Christian or not, Protestant or Catholic, this habit is so important. It has the biggest, biggest potential to change your earthly life for the better. Uh, this habit will transform every decision you make and uh, this will make you the go-to leader of your friends and family. It will make you wealthy and successful if you apply it correctly. This habit will give you great relationships. 
The habit I wanna talk about today is the habit of wisdom. See, wisdom isn't some gift that some people have and others don't. It is a habit that is developed in our life through a specific process that God unveils to us through a man in the Bible named Solomon. And I wanna show you that today. Now, I like to start messages off with a story just to get us into things, to build an analogy upon. And one of the things, I like learning. I just, I like learning lots of different things, you know, watching lots of different perspectives. And um, one of the things I really enjoy is learning about government spending gone wrong, which is pretty easy because I think all government spending typically goes wrong. I've talked about the Joint Strike Fighter before, lots of different other things. But um, one of the most interesting examples of government expenditure gone horribly wrong is housing projects. You know, we had the great society and we thought we're gonna do all these great housing projects and we built wonderful monuments like, you know, Robert Taylor Holmes and Caprini Green. One of my favorite ones is pruitt Igo in Missouri. Here they are, you can see all these different buildings that are a part of this housing project. And I get the desire to build it. These were open in 1955. And politicians thought, hey, let's give poor families quality housing at a fraction of market pricing. And then we'll see them succeed and people are gonna vote for us and we're giving people, you know, a hand up and it's, it's gonna be awesome. We'll be popular, whatever. So the government, spent an inflation-adjusted $386 million for 2,870 housing units. And at the time, this actually cost way more than building single-family homes, 2,870 single-family homes. They could have done that, but they didn't. Instead, they built these, these projects. It's staggeringly expensive. Now, what really started these off on the wrong foot was, unfortunately in Missouri, the Steamfitters Union had a lot of political pull. And at the time, the Steamfitters Union wasn't awesome. I mean, I'm, who knows where it's at today? It's probably great. But um, they put in, they, they lobbied to have this super expensive boiler system. You can see the building that housed it over here. The super expensive boiler system that would heat all of these units. And it ran way over cost, way over cost. And it forced them to make cuts in other places. One of the things they cut was a couple of the elevators in each of the buildings. So what they did was they put in these things called skip-stop elevators to make them run faster. They only stopped once every three floors because they thought, well, you know, poor people can use the stairs, whatever, it'll be fine, right? So they cut the elevators, that's not cool. And then they had to undersize the kitchen appliances. So they put in half-size kitchen appliances. So another kind of big mistake there, that's a problem. And then they said, let's just make the windows single pane instead of double pane, because we have this oversized heating system, we don't need to insulate, that'll be fine. So they did that. And then this is the big problem, is uh, they cut air conditioning from the buildings in the sweltering Missouri summers. And that wouldn't have been as bad, except the buildings were designed to have air conditioning. Okay, so their windows didn't open enough, so they were very poorly ventilated. Big problem, these things were terrible places to live. Now within four years, the units were a complete wreck. Vandalism was unchecked. The police were mostly unable to respond to calls in the Pruitt-Igo housing development. Some sources say that the unemployment rate within four years of their opening was upwards of 90%, and later in their history, it would be 98% unemployment in these housing projects, not good. Within 17 years of their opening, 17 years ago from today's 2005, so imagine a house from 2005 being demolished. They demolished the Pruitt-Igo housing projects. They're supposed to last 60 years. But that's just one of many stories. And this is, you know, the way that most housing projects from the 50s turned out. But um, my favorite story of government spending going wrong, this one is, this is just crazy, is the California High-Speed Rail Project. Approved in 2006... This project was gonna build a high-speed rail line between LA and San Francisco, and I've ridden high-speed rail. You know, every time I visit family in Japan, we get on the bullet train, it's super cool. This thing was gonna cost $33 billion with a B. 18 years later, this is a recent picture, there's still no tracks on it, you'll see it's missing tracks, which is kind of critical for high-speed rail. Um, 
18 years later, the train has not hauled a single person and it has incinerated $100 billion. That's Dr. Evil money, folks. That's a lot. And uh, the project has now been reduced because they started it in the middle, not at the ends. It's been reduced to going between Bakersfield, a town of 400,000, and Merced, a town of 78,000. So 478,000 people are serviced by this railroad track. And um, to operate it at not a loss, this thing needs to haul 100 million people a year. That's a third of the U.S. population. It only services 478,000 people that's crazy. They would have to ride it all day, every day, multiple times a day just to make it break even. It's widely regarded as the greatest public infrastructure debacle in world history. With the money that they have spent on this railroad track, they could have given every homeless person in California, I'm sure you've heard about the California homelessness crisis, 625 grand for each person. They could have solved homelessness. I mean, because we don't get what $100 billion is. It's a lot of money, folks. And instead, they spent that money on something that is literally worse than worthless. It is a liability. And I'm just reaching the surface on this. I'm probably making it sound better than it is. For real, spend some time Googling the whole California Transit Authority's craziness on this project. It is truly remarkable. But the big question is, why this happened? What was the problem with these projects? Was it a lack of good intentions? No, not really. I'm sure both seemed like a good idea at the time. Why'd they fail? It was a lack of wisdom. I think that wisdom could have seen these failures coming. That's what wisdom does. It sees the future. Wisdom could have stopped both of these issues. These are large-scale failures, and it's easy to laugh at the government. Oh, government is the worst. Government is the worst. Government does things. But you know what the government is? You're not going to like this. The government's just a reflection of us. That's right. That's right. You know, I doubt any of us have incinerated $100 billion on something worse and worthless, but on a personal level, we have failures that impact our lives far more greatly. We have marriages that didn't heed wisdom. We have business ventures that were foolish. We have trips that didn't heed wisdom. We have dating relationships that were remarkably toxic and terrible. We need wisdom, all of us, every one of us. I love the story of King Solomon in the Bible. He is King David's son, a remarkably wise man. If you don't know about him, you're gonna learn about him. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse five, at the start of his reign, it says, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, what do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you, right? So it, like literally God is a genie with one wish for, for Solomon. Like it's kind of cool, it's sweet. If you could ask God for anything, what would you ask for? A lot of different things run into your mind. Solomon asks God for wisdom and God is pumped. He's like, yes. That's a good thing to ask for. God gives him a bunch of things, but he does say, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one has ever seen or ever will see. So he's the wisest man who ever lived. And the big thing is the way that God gives Solomon the wisdom. God doesn't just look at him and make him smart. What he does is he gives Solomon the discipline to practice the habit of wisdom. And you see it throughout Solomon's writing. Solomon writes a lot of books in the Bible. He writes Proverbs, which is awesome. It's 31 chapters. You can read it one chapter a day and finish it in a month. I highly recommend doing Proverbs with your kids. Solomon writes the book Song of Songs, which you probably shouldn't read unless you're married. It's, uh, it's a good book. Good book. But uh, anyway, it is about sex. And then Solomon writes a book called Ecclesiastes. And he teaches us about the practice of wisdom in Ecclesiastes it starts off like this. It says, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. 
And uh, before I read his first line, I'll just warn you that a lot of times smart people are a little bit negative. Like, this is just the way that it goes. A little sardonic, a little sarcastic. They say sarcasm is a sign of intelligence. <laughs> just tell my wife that, please. Um, anyway, everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. All right, okay, all right. Um, verse three, he says, what do people get for their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets and then hurries around to rise again. What do you do? You eat, sleep, you die. This is a great commentary on atheism, the religion of my father's family. This is, you know, again, remarkable. It's good that he's thinking about this. Verse eight, it says, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. He's like, look, I don't know anybody who's built a pole barn and is like, you know what? That's big enough. I really, I think I went too big on that pole barn. Like I should have just, I wish I would have done a couple less rows of trusses because I built it too, you know what I mean? Like I just have too much stuff. That's the problem. I wish I had fewer toys. I wish I had fewer side-by-sides. I wish I had fewer LS swap dune buggies. You know what I mean? Like, no, nobody's like that. Everybody wants more. He goes on, he says, history merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. And that remark, we never had inflation like this before. What about Jimmy Carter? Remember Volcker? Remember him? 20% Fed rate, right? All the old people are like, yep. All the young people are like, no, it's never happened before. Well, then he goes on and he makes a note. He says, we don't remember what happened in the past and future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. That's true. Land wars never happened before in Europe. This Ukraine is just, it's never happened before. It's like, well, what, what about World War I and World War II and the War of the Roses and the Hundred Years' War? Like, what about them? Solomon's making a good point here. He would expand his kingdom that he ruled over to its greatest extent. He'd be the richest man in the world. His monuments and achievements at his day would be without rival. Kings and queens from around the world would come to hear him speak and sit at his feet. And really what he does is he just practices one important habit to have his wisdom. What I'd like to do is reveal his habit to you and then make three points about it. This is so important. The big habit that Solomon practices, the big habit of wisdom that we all can practice in our life is to visualize. Visualize. This word to me is the modern definition of wisdom. Visualize and wisdom are the same thing. If you want to be wise, if you want to make great choices, this is the key skill that you need to develop. And visualize, really what it means is to see what will happen if you do something before you do it. That's it. And visualize is the skill I emphasize with our staff, with my children. This, when I am being a great leader, is what I do. What Solomon is doing, and this is critical, is he's visualizing his choices. And every part of his life, even long after he's gone, what is he doing? You see in his writing, what happens? Generations come, generations go. He's visualizing what will happen long after I'm gone. Visualizing the future. This tool is so powerful because what it does is it illuminates all the different possibilities from the choices that you make. And when you see the outcomes of all the choices you make before you make them, it makes it pretty easy to choose the right one. Now, I wanna show you the three levels of visualization, the three levels of wisdom Okay, there's also a level zero. Some of you guys are level zero wisdom people. Some of you level one, level two. Some of you guys, you're level three. But let's talk about this. Level one wisdom is this. Instead of asking, do I want this? That's level zero. Level one says, what will happen if I do this? And do I want that? This is so important. You know, people who just ask, do I want this? That's foolish. Foolish people ask that. Rubes ask that question. It's the lazy autopilot question. This is the question that ends you up in debt. Do I want this? You see the Z71 midnight edition, blacked out wheels, blacked out badges. You don't ask what will happen if I do this. You just ask, do I want this? Absolutely. LS 5.3 motor, indestructible, bulletproof, C4 
L60 transmission towing. I mean, that's what you see, right? That question ends you up in debt all the time. This question, do I want this, is why we end great marriages for a momentary fling or quit a job without a plan to pay the bills. This is a foolish question, level zero leadership. When I was young and I lived on the lake uh, in Minnesota, I remember one cold Minnesota spring Sunday afternoon. They're all cold, right? They're all cold in the spring in Minnesota. But um, my brother and I were on the dock and uh, the water was freezing. The ice had just gone out. It was probably, you know, May. And we were waiting for my mom and dad to come down to take us for a boat ride on the lake. My brother had a stick in his hand and I knew he loved fun games and winning. Now, I was two years younger than my brother, which means all you younger brothers, you know this. If you're two years younger than your brother, it means you're gonna lose everything throughout your entire childhood all the time. Everything you do, you lose, right? We just finished playing Duck Hunt, which possibly is the greatest game ever. Nintendo Entertainment System, playing Duck Hunt, my brother smoked me, and I was frustrated. I lost at every basketball game, every soccer game, every wrestling match. Anything we did, I lost. He had a stick in his hand. And I thought, I really want him to go in the water. That's what I thought, just in my mind, right? Evil, yes. Was it me? Yes, okay. Anyway, so I look at him, I thought, I wanna push him in the water, but I thought, what would happen if I do this? Because I was level one wise, right? I thought, if I push him in the water, he's gonna get out, he's gonna push me in the water and then give me the beating of a lifetime. I don't want that, right? So then I thought, how about this? And I went to my brother and I said, Enoch, and that's his actual name, Enoch, and then my parents named me John. They said, Enoch was a little too out there, let's just take it back and pick the most common name in human history, right? Enoch. I bet you could lean out over the edge of the dock and let that stick hold you up. Let's see how far you can get, and then let's see how far I can get, because I knew he was really competitive, right? So in his Sunday church clothes, this is just fantastic, he starts leaning out there a little farther and farther. He's nine years old, right? And he's like hopping the stick farther and farther out, a little more, a little more. Now, the stick looked pretty rotten, but I was surprised at how strong it was. I thought it would break far sooner than it actually did. He gets out there, finally, he's fully prostrate, push-up position, holding this thing up. And I'm like, oh no, because if he makes it back to the dock, I'm gonna have to do this thing and I'll probably fall in. So I said, wait, wait, before you come back, Enoch, see if you can wiggle with that stick a little bit. There it was, snap, it broke, he fell in the water. I was like, yes, right as my mom and dad were coming down the stairs, my mom yelled at him, what are you doing, Enoch, in your Sunday clothes? And he had to go back up to the house crying, we're gonna go on a boat ride without you. So I got to go on a boat ride with mom and dad while my brother cried in the house. I was like, that's what I'm talking about, do the stanky leg, right? And here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. He asked the question, do I want this? Level zero wisdom. You ask stupid questions, you win stupid prizes. It sounded like a fun challenge, so he said yes, and immediately he did it farther and farther out without thinking about the end. What would have happened if he was a level one wisdom person? What will happen if I do this? Bam! You ask that question and everything changes. He would never have done it because he would have visualized the future and he would have had the wisdom to say, I don't want that. It sounds lame as kids, but how many adults are level zero when it comes to wisdom? How many adults fail to ask that question? Adults need to ask it a lot more. You know, before you text back that coworker and get yourself fired, maybe you need to ask the question, what will happen if I do this? And do I want that? Do I want to be written up? Before you reach out to that old high school flame just to see how they're doing, why don't you ask, what will happen if I do this? And do I want that? Do I want to pay child support? Do I want to have to go into this? Before you quit your job in that epic way, instead of asking, do I want this? Ask, what will happen if I do this? I won't be able to pay my bills. Then ask the question, do I want that? No. Before you get a puppy, who doesn't want a puppy? You know, I mean, we all love puppies. You see that cute yellow chocolate or yellow lab and you know, the big ears and walking around, it's so cute and everything, okay? Before you get it, don't ask, do I want this? Ask, what will happen if I do this? All my stuff will get chewed up. 
I can't, can't be gone all day anymore. I'll have to spend thousands of dollars on pet stuff. Create enmity between me and my kids because my kids said they'd walk it and they won't. I'll be picking up dog poop all day. It's going to grow into a full-grown dog. It's going to smell terrible, blah, 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 things and reasons, right? Okay, so you ask the question, what will happen if I do this? You count the cost. Then you ask, do I want that? Do I want that? And some of you will still say yes because you're crazy. <laughs> Learning to ask this question is so important. This question has saved my life from so much pain. The second step, the second level of lead. This is level one leadership, or not level one leadership, level one wisdom. But there's a level two to this, and very few people make it to the second level. This is next level stuff. Truly wise people are able to ask this. This is Solomon's jam right here. This next one I'm gonna reveal to you is a big deal. Instead of asking what will happen if I do this, Solomon asks, what will happen if I do this in every season? Solomon's wisdom was rooted not just in his ability to ask what will happen if I do this, but to think about what would happen in every season of his life. Almost all of Solomon's writing contains evidence of him doing this. This was the key that Solomon had that so few of us actually have is to see the future, not just now, not just in the immediate future, but generation after generation. He is thinking longitudinally. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, it says, for there is everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. Now, I preached out of this passage at our Holy Thursday service. Some of you were there. I would call that the best sermon I can remember preaching. It's not available online. Yeah, you can't get it. I just want you guys to feel that FOMO. You gotta come to these things, okay? I'm not kidding. Now, what Solomon is doing right here is he is seeing the wisdom question, this is critical, in every season of life. To me, there are 10 major seasons in life. There's being born, that's your childhood. There's graduation you know, college, high school, whatever. Wedding season, kids season, kids graduation, kids wedding season, grandkids, grandkids wedding season, death and eternity. And I think really wise people, truly wise people see the wisdom question, not just now, but in every season. I was level one wise with my brother. I thought, what will happen if I do this? My brother's gonna fall in the water. But if I was level two wise, I would have seen what will happen if I do this in every season while I hurt my relationship with my brother. I'll hurt his self-esteem. I'll hurt his trust in me. I'll participate in something that's kind of evil and wrong. I wouldn't have done it. But I was only level one wise at that time. Really wise people are able to see the implications of their actions in every season because they practice the habits of level two wisdom. It's not a gift, it's a habit, it's a discipline. I remember years ago at my last church, shortly after I was married, I was teaching a class on mate selection. I'm really good at teaching on mate selection. If you're in that season of life, that is one of the most important decisions you'll make. I hope you do a lot of research on it, but I'm, that's another whole other thing. But I was teaching this class on mate selection to singles. And after I was done with the class, this beautiful woman comes up to me. She was a Minnesota Vikings cheerleader. We had a few of them at our church. She came up to me and she grabs my arm. She says, Pastor, what would it take to find a man like you? Now, I don't know what her intentions were. I don't know. She was probably just asking what would it take to find a man who's similar to I am. But I suspected there might be something amorous behind what she was saying. Now, good thing I didn't ask the question, do I want this? Now, all the ladies in the room are like, of course, you know, my husband would never want that. Da, 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 da. Men, just smile and say, yeah, no, I wouldn't. But I'm glad I did not ask that question. I asked the wisdom question. I asked, what would happen if I do this and do I want that? Okay, what would happen if I do this? Well, I'd betray the trust of my wife. I don't want that. What would happen if I do this? I would permanently lose my ability to be in ministry and I don't want that. 
What would happen if I do this? I would betray my Lord and Savior and I would sin against my own body and push the presence of God from my life. I don't want that. Right, because sexual sin is unique. There's no other sin that's like it. It's a sin against your own body. It hurts you. The statistics on this back all this up. What would happen if I do this? I'd let down our whole church. I don't want that. What would happen if I do this? I would deeply harm this woman and I don't want that. And that's just level one wisdom. Then we went to level two wisdom. I thought about every season. What would happen if I do this in every season? And I thought I'd never be able to hold my wife again as my one and only, even if she did forgive me. I was a virgin when I got married and I love that she's the only one I know. I don't wanna lose that, I don't want that. I thought what would happen if I do this in every season, I would permanently lose the respect of my adult children. That's what adultery does. The Bible talks about this. I thought I don't want that. What would happen if I do this? I'd be jeopardizing my relationship with my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. The Bible talks about how some sins are passed to the third and fourth generation. I thought, I don't want that. I don't want that, right? What would happen in every season? This illuminates, illuminates the choices that you're making in the moment for the big decisions in life and even the little ones. I challenge you to start thinking as somebody who is level two wise. Think about every season. Some of you here today are probably thinking about getting divorced. Right, you're sitting here thinking, well, do I wanna stay married? Do I wanna leave? Can I forgive her? Do I want this? That's the wrong question. Don't ask, do I want this? Ask, what would happen if I do this in every season? I want you to really count the cost. Visualize Christmas celebrations in every season. You know, when your kids are graduating, wedding, you know, when, when you're having grandkids. I want you to visualize birthdays and sports games in every season as you really think about this. I want you to think about writing a last will and testament when you have a blended family. That's complicated. What do we do with all this? I want you to visualize your deathbed when you go to Oak Grove and you're laying in the hospital bed and everybody's there and it's the end. I want you to visualize what's that gonna look like in light of this decision I'm making. See, wisdom is not some magical gift. It is merely the habit of asking what will happen if I do this and really wise leaders, they ask what will happen if I do this in every season with the Pruitt-Igo housing projects. If politicians would have asked the question, what will happen if we do this in every season? I think it would have changed the calculus. They would have seen the problems. America truly is a land of opportunity. I'm the son of an immigrant. I love this place. Think about this. My grandparents fought a war against each other. Their children got married. Their grandkids are a mix of the two. I love this country. I remember when my mom became a citizen. I was eight years old. I love this country so much. This is the land of opportunity. Listen, in this country, you don't get poor by making great choices right? So if you put a bunch of people who struggle with making great choices in a concentrated area, it's not going to be good. We already know the statistics. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. We know if we put a bunch of people who struggle with good decisions in a concentrated area, it ain't going to be good. I think wisdom could have seen that. And that was the fundamental issue with all American great society housing projects at that time. And that's why they all got torn down. Cabrini, Cabrini Green, Robert Taylor Holmes, Pruitt Igo, they're all there. With California high-speed rail, this one I feel like we should have been able to see it if we asked the right questions. If you try to build a big project across thousands of land parcels with our Byzantine eminent domain processes in America, of course we're gonna see issues. It's a blue state full of regulation, bribes, bureaucracy, and corruption. Of course it's gonna be hard. California is a beautiful state full of wonderful people, but it's terribly run. And if leaders would have just taken a moment to visualize even the environmental approval process alone, they could have seen this issue. And it all would have been unlocked by asking this simple question, what will happen if I do this in every season? Friends, I wanna challenge you to ask this in your own life. Now, um, when I was a kid, I'm a millennial, right? I'm 37. And uh, our parents always told us, to act, or told us to do what you love, you know, and you'll never have to work a day in your life. 
But I don't think we really visualize that through every season, right? When you're thinking about getting a philosophy degree or going to Juilliard and getting a music performance degree or whatever it is that you're gonna do, I think it's important to ask, <laughs> do I like paying student debt when I'm 55 years old? Do I like ramen noodles? That's a great question, you know? And this is the big one. Do I like what I'm doing for a living more than I like how I'll be living in every season? That's a good question to ask. I think these are really important things when it comes to doing what you love versus doing what will provide. Listen, I did the same math when I was thinking about being a pastor. My dad sat me down. He's like, hey, you really need to think about what this is gonna do. Do you like breaking down in cars? And I've obviously shared that I break down all the time and I don't mind driving beaters with heaters. That's just, that's, that's something that's a part of my life, right? And the answer was, I don't mind. I like doing what I love more than I like how I'll be living. But anyway, this question, this question opens up your eyes to the biggest problems in life before they happen. This question will make you the person that everyone goes to. That person that people think can see the future. You'll become the guru, the influencer, and it's not a gift. Wisdom is not a gift, it is a habit. And the more you do it, the better you'll become at it, and the faster you'll be able to visualize what will happen. I wanna challenge you to be people of wisdom. If you spent your life without wisdom, maybe you've got a lot of debt or you've got hurting relationships or sexual regrets or whatever, if you're not dead, God's not done with you. It's never too late to start practicing the habit of wisdom. Now, my last point's most important, okay? Level three wisdom, next level stuff. This next point is so important. Like this is the one, if you zoned out and you're thinking about what would I do if ninjas broke into the church, now it's time to come back and oh, now y'all thinking about ninjas, that's my bad, okay? Push that out, come back to me right now, okay? Level zero. Do I want this? It's a foolish question, don't ask that. Level one wisdom, what will happen if I do this and do I want that? That's good. Level two, what will happen if I do this in every season and do I want that? Practice these things, get good at these things. But this last one, this is what the truly wise, truly world-changing individuals practice and it's so, so important. But before I get, no, just kidding, I'm gonna reveal it to you right now. Level three leadership is what will happen in eternity if I do this and do I want that? This question is so important. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life not asking these questions. It's so interesting, all my aunts and uncles are millionaires, they're atheists, and they're miserable because they just don't ask this question. You know, I love Ecclesiastes because King Solomon, a long time before atheism comes out, talks about the outlook of atheists. And I relate to this, I understand this. I was raised with this as a part of my culture. It says, everything is meaningless says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and they go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries around to rise. What's the point of all this? You live, you die, and you're forgotten. You know, in our Hebron location, we just finished our hall of mostly dead pastors. And what it is, is a room with a picture of all the senior pastors of our church. And uh, they are all mostly dead. This church is 129 years old. We've had 17 senior pastors and all these guys are dead. They're gone. Just me and John Hoff for the last two, they're still alive. And that's why I tell you guys all the time, pastors come and go, but a church is for a lifetime. I hope your faith isn't in a pastor. I hope it's in Jesus, right? Who, who am I? I'm just a dude, right? We're steadfast, faithful, generation after generation following Christ. Now, um, nine of these pastors are so old, nobody remembers them. Like their voices are forgotten. We don't know what they sounded like. We don't know if they're boring or exciting. I mean, they are, they're so old, nobody remembers who they are. When I see their pictures, I don't just think of them though. I think of the churches around them that we don't know. We don't know their names. Thousands of people who thought, what will happen in eternity if I do this? 
And the answer is our souls would be there. Giving, serving, building our community together. You know, I recently had my mug taken for this. And my mom saw it and the first thing she said is, you are aging so terribly for a Japanese person. You look like you're 65. I said, thanks, mom. She goes, you look terrible. You know, most people who are white probably have no idea, but you do, you really are aging. Do you need to like take some blood pressure medicine and, and, and sleep better or whatever? I was like, thanks, mom. I really appreciate that. And then she said, I can't tell white people apart. But um, I was like, is it appropriate? No, true, yes. Okay, um, someday nobody will remember who that person is. And they'll just look at that picture and they'll say, he's the first not white guy. Is he a man child? Is he a pastor? Who is that guy? Listen, we are all going to die. Generations come and generations go. The sun races around and around and around. And I want to ask you, what will happen in eternity if you keep living the way you're living? Foolish people don't ask this question. Fools live without asking this question right here. You see, something doesn't come from nothing. Christianity doesn't take blind faith, it's informed faith. Ignorant people sit down and don't ask this question. Ignorant people live a lifetime without worrying about this. This is crazy. If there's even a chance this exists, why are we not roaring at this? Why are we not reading books at the library about this? Why are we not consuming every bit of data that we can? If eternity is real, what are you doing? Don't waste your life. Something doesn't come from nothing. We know 100% that God is real. Furthermore, according to the overwhelming archeological, biological, and historical evidence, we know for sure that the God of the Bible is the one true God, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through Him. What will happen in eternity if you keep living the way you're living? That's the question. That's level three wisdom. That's what truly wise people do. That's what world changers do. Almost all of the good things we have in the modern era came because of Christians seeking God first. Hospitals, cathedrals, modern medicine, the scientific method came one time in human history from Christians seeking Jesus. Now on all your blue cards on your seats where your note, where your note sheets are, um, that on, the, on the side there on that tarot portion, there's like a little QR code. If you shine your camera app on it every week, um, the discussion questions are there. And I know like 100% of you do the discussion questions every week because that's just who you are, you know, and that's so great. Thank you for doing that. That's cool. This week, will you help a brother out and actually do them? Okay, this week, they're always good, but this week they are actually important. I want you to go through, it's the homework of the whole message. I just want you to spend some time. You can journal. If you're a boy, you can think, you know, whatever on your way, to, but think about these things. Okay, four questions, won't take that long. And I would love, you know, fathers, husbands, leaders, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, lead your family in this. Have a discussion, it's not that hard. Four questions, number one, what will happen if you do this? If you never get serious about God, just think about it. What will happen? If you just sit here and you listen to all the lemmings in society and you just boop, just keep going in life, you know, marching to the end. What will happen if you do that? Next question, what will happen if you live a half committed life? What will happen? When you stand before the Lord, what will you hear? Spirits, oh yeah, you know, I mean, I come to something, I believe in God and whatever. What will happen if you do that? Third question, this is the second most important question. This question is second most important. It's an important question. I really want you to, and this is, this is what requires some introspection. I want you to be honest about your life with yourself, with your kids, with your spouse, this matters. What will happen if you keep living spiritually like you're living today? What will happen? What will you hear God say to you the way you're living right now? Truly wise people ask these questions. Truly wise people spend time having world changers. 
They do consistently what most of us just do occasionally. They're asking themselves these questions. They're self-regulating, looking at these questions right here. And then last thing, last thing. This is so important. This is the one that matters. Do I want that? Do I want that? As I look at my life, as I think about, you know, when I'm 80, as I think about when I'm gone, as I think about the legacy I'm creating in my children and their children spiritually. Sure, I love God. Sure, I read my Bible, but my grandchildren, what am I doing? I want you to really think about your lives. I want you to be wise people. King Solomon was the wisest guy who ever lived. And he writes this whole book and he says, look, life on earth is meaningless. And at the very end, he starts talking about God. He says, yes, remember your creator now while you were young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. For then the dust will return to the earth, we'll all die. And then check this out, and this is so important. And the spirit will return to God who gave it. We will enter the presence of God. And he draws this conclusion. He starts off with his line, everything's meaningless. And then he ends with the same line, but we know that it's different now. He says, yes, everything is meaningless except our faith in God. Yes, everything on this earth is completely meaningless apart from God. I wanna challenge you to live a life that matters. I wanna challenge you to live a life that's wise. I wanna challenge you to actually meditate on it today. This church, I'm not here for you to be like, oh, you know, that pastor was interesting. Oh, that pastor talked too fast. You know, I could barely hear him. I could barely, no. What I want you to do is not leave here and say that was, I want you to be transformed. I want you to actually take an assessment of your life and I want you to put into practice some habits that will allow you to become the best version of yourselves. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. Guys, next week, we've got another habit that I can't wait to talk to you guys about. It's really important. You don't wanna miss it, and this is what it's gonna be. Something I'll tell you next week. You gotta come back for it, right? But as we close, let's pray. God in heaven, I just thank you that you're a God of wisdom, a God of evidence, a God of logic, a God of reason. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to not choose ignorance any longer. Help us to be a church of wisdom, of people who seek you first of people who honor you with our choices and live lives that are wise. I thank you so much for all that you've given to us, Lord, and I ask now that you'd help us to be people who live lives that reflect the truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before you fire it off, Grant, on your blue cards, where those QR codes are, there's um, a series of boxes that you can check on one of the sides, and it just says, hey, I've taken some steps with Jesus today and I want some help moving forward. If you heard this message and you're like, what will happen if I do this in eternity? I don't like where I am and I wanna change. I need to change the way I'm living. You check one of those boxes and you drop it in the usher bucket on your way out. I'd love to get in contact with you this week and help you put some wheels to that. Take it away, Grant.